Good evening. If you're a visitor with us tonight, uh, we're excited that you're here. Uh, you're an encouragement to us, and we hope that we can be some kind of an encouragement to you. Uh, stick around, if you will, after service, and give us the opportunity to have a chance to get to know you and for you to know a little bit about us. And, and my hope and my prayer, as always at every service, is that it can be the beginning of lifelong eternal friendships. I want to start off, uh, as always, on, on Scholarship Sunday, but, but this time, it, it, I don't know if you say it means more, but as I come to the close of my four years at Freed Hardman, and, and I'm about to graduate in May, I've got to say a special thank you to everybody in this congregation, uh, but I, I want to say a special thank you to the elders. I want to thank you for taking a shot on me, uh, a young guy in his faith, who wanted to preach the word and who wanted to save souls. And so I can't really put into words what it means, but I can tell you it means the world. I also want to thank uh, the 20-somethings and the 30-somethings uh, for all of the gifts, um, all the hot chocolates and all the Doritos and all the stuff that you guys would send me and, and the letters of encouragement. And once again, you just don't know how much it meant. I also want to thank a, a special uh, a lady. She wrote me consistently over four years, not all the time, but I want to thank Miss Rosemary Fox, and I want to thank her. Uh, it just seemed somehow or another that any time I needed encouragement or any time I was down, it just seemed that a letter from her was in the mail. And, and I'm just so thankful for her, and once again, I'm so thankful for everybody in this congregation. You know, a little over seven years ago, it started with an invitation, multiple invitations. It was so many invitations it came to the point that in, in a nice way, I just kind of told Miss Yvonne Smith that if she would stop inviting me that I would come. And, and I came, and, and I'll never forget it. It was a Wednesday night, and, and I remember I walked in, I think like 10 minutes late, and I, I went to the same, the, the only voice that you could hear on a Wednesday night, and it was in the auditorium. And I'll never forget it. I walked in back there, and I sat down. But I remember walking in, and when I was walking in, I remember feeling like I've got too much sin. I, I, I don't belong at church. It's definitely not where I belong. I, I'm too messed up. I, I struggle with too many things. I'm too broken in my past. It's just not what needs to be found at a church building. And I tell you that because seven, a little over seven years later, I stand before you preaching the gospel. Now, understand this. This is not, hey, pat Chris on the back. This is a look at what God can do. But also, this goes out to anybody that maybe you're feeling like I felt seven years ago. You're searching for something more in your life. but you feel like you're too broken and you're too messed up and you struggle and you feel like there's no way that you could ever belong. I want to introduce you to a question that night that changed my life. What do I offer others if I don't have God? I remember hearing that question come out of David Shannon's mouth and I remember sitting there thinking huh, 
I offer my friends and my family a lot, and I don't have God. I'll never forget later that night, sitting around with some of my buddies, guys I've known since elementary school, my boys, people I love, people I play ball with, people that I would die for. And I remember we're having a good time and we're sitting around and that question popped right back in my head and then it hit me. When I die, all of my friendships with these guys are over because I don't have God. I started to realize that anything that I offer my loved ones, my family, my friends, anybody that God has placed in my life, I offer them nothing that lasts beyond a heartbeat because I did not have a relationship with God. Heaven, do you believe that it's real? Do you believe that it's a place where some people will and some people will not spend eternity? How much do we talk about heaven? Do we talk about it enough? Do we talk about it with our friends? Do we talk about it with our families? Do we gather our kids at the dinner table? as we're eating and bring it up and say, hey kids, guess what? We're one day closer to heaven. I mean, how much do we talk about a place where we as Christians claim that we want to live forever? For the next couple of minutes, I just want to start this lesson off in Revelations 21. So if you have your Bibles, go ahead and flip over there. I thought it'd be really neat for us. We're going to spend the rest of the time after looking in here in the book of Philippians. But I thought, how neat would it be to look in Revelations 21 for us to say, all right, what does heaven look like? God gives us a, a, a nice little glimpse into what heaven's going to be about. And for us to say, all right, this is what it is. And this is what it means to me. And hopefully my, my prayer is that the rest of this lesson, our mindset will be, okay, Am I living a life that tells other people that that's where I'm going? And I want to take them with me. You look in Revelations, uh, Revelations 21. Start reading in verse 3. And it says, And I heard, this is John, and he, the writer of Revelation. He says, And I heard a loud voice from heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men and he will dwell with them and they shall be his people. God himself will be with them and be their God and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There shall be no more death, nor sorrow, nor crying. There shall be no more pain for the former things have passed away. Now, I'm gonna be honest. I've read this verse numerous times. And early in my faith, I would read this verse and honestly, I would read it and say, man, heaven is going to be awesome. And this is the reasons I would give you. I would rattle off this list. I'd say, man, heaven's got no death, no sorrow, no crying. There should be no more pain for the former things have passed away. And if someone asked me, hey, Chris, 
tell me about heaven. Every single time, I would probably take them to this verse and I would say, hey, let me tell you what heaven's going to be like. And I would sit here and read this verse. I'd say, no more death, nor sorrow, nor crying. There should be no more pain, no tears. It's just happiness. And you kind of paint that picture and rattle off a list. And then one day I read it. And I just kind of realized I missed it. The greatest part about heaven is God is going to be there. I'll tell you what. You can have a place with no sorrow, no pain, and all that other stuff we just rattled off, and that sounds great, and you can have no God there, but if you take all those things, flip them over, and put God in the situation, I'm going to choose God every time. Heaven is not heaven unless God dwells there. And so the idea is for us to say, what are we most excited about? Is it the fact that no more death and no sorrow and you know the list, we just read them a couple times. Hey, no shame in the game. If you love those things, that's great. But we've really missed the point if God and him being there and him dwelling with us and us being able to see Jesus face to face, if that's not our joy, if that's not the reason that we get up every morning and shout to the world that we're living for a God who reigns forever, then we've really missed why heaven is going to be so great. For the next couple of, uh, of, of minutes or, or our time together for the rest of the night, I want to look at, at the life of Paul. And I want to I talk about a guy who, who lived a life that, that told others that, hey, it's, 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 it's not about me, but it's about God. And, and he lived a life that says, hey, this earth is, is not my home. And my soul is eternal, but my body's passing away. And so it's really needed, and, and you saw the first slide, and maybe you read the bulletin, to, to live is Christ and to die is gain. And so that's kind of the theme tonight. And we're going to go throughout together. But if you have your Bibles, flip with me over to Philippians. Flip with me over to, to Philippians um, chapter 1. Philippians chapter 1. And as we flip over there, I just want to just think about this idea. Does your life scream to others? that you love Jesus. Now, I'm not talking about the person that stands outside and scares everybody away from God because you're like, everybody, you're not going to heaven. I'm not talking about that guy. I'm talking about the guy that lives a life where it's different from everybody else in his workplace. I'm talking about the lady and the way that she speaks at work is different from all the other ladies that she works with. Does your life tell other people that Jesus reigns and that he's your king. You go Philippians chapter 1 and we look in verse 12 and, and so we understand the setting of the text. We're talking about Paul and what is Paul doing? He's writing to the church in Philippi. But here's the thing. He's writing this letter from jail. We say, Chris, well, why is Paul in jail? He's in jail because he loves Jesus. Jesus. 
He's in jail because he is willing to die for the cause of Christianity. He's willing to lose popularity. And so we pick up in Philippians chapter 1 and we start reading in verse 12. And he says, but I want you to know, brethren, that the things which happened, well, what happened, Paul? I've been beat down, I've been mocked, I've been made fun of, and now I'm in jail. Those things which happened to me have actually turned out for the furtherance of the gospel so that it has become evident to the whole palace guard and to all the rest that my chains are in Christ. And most of the brethren in the Lord, having become confident by my chains, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Paul, what are you really saying? Paul's saying, I've been thrown in jail for the cause of Christ. How many of us would throw the white flag? Paul's saying, I ain't throwing the white flag. I'm all in. Well, Paul, why are you so excited? You know, most people... They would look at that and say, man, what are you doing following a God and you're going to end up in jail? That's not the mindset Paul carried at all. Matter of fact, he rejoiced. Well, why did he rejoice? Paul, why are you so excited? Paul would say, I was in jail and I got to preach the gospel to all the officers. And every day I was there, they had to hear me talk about God. Where? Do we find a faith like that? Look at these next verses. Go with me to verse 19, same chapter. He says, for I know, what do you know? I know that this will turn out for my deliverance through your prayer and the supply of the Spirit of Jesus Christ according to my earnest expectation and hope that in nothing I shall be ashamed, but with all boldness as always... So now also Christ will be magnified. He will be screamed. People, when they look at my life, whether by life or by death, they will see Jesus. No ands, no ifs, no buts about it. It's all about God, not about me. And Paul's saying that right here. He's saying Christ will be, not maybe, not sometimes, not every now and then, not every other Friday night, but every second will be magnified in my body, whether by life or by death. Look at verse 21. And he says, for to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. The first question I want to ask with that idea is, do we really believe, do we really believe that verse to be true? Do we really believe that heaven is going to be better than this life? Do we really believe with all our heart, with everything that we got, that to die is gain. I want you to look at this rope that goes across the stage. And I want you to think about this little itty bitty, if you can see the red tape. This represents your life. And I want you to imagine that this rope, it went on forever and that represents eternity. And I want you to think about the idea, we just asked the question, 
Well, where do we find that kind of faith? Paul, how do you have the kind of faith where you can live the life that you live? How do we find the kind of faith that we find in the Bible? Paul would say, hey, I ain't bragging. This is a very humble, humble answer. But it's the idea of the way what Paul's writing in his letter. He's saying, hey, you compare the two and you tell me what you want. It's, it's the idea of Paul saying, I'm not going to live a life where it's all about what I want, what I want to do. I'll live how I want and I'm going to do what I want whenever I want, however I want. That's not what Paul's saying. Paul's saying, I don't want that. That's only for this. He's saying, I want that. I want eternity. I want forever. You know, you don't have to be the smartest person in the room if I simply offered, I said, hey, you can live for this amount or you can live forever. What are you going to choose? I can honestly say I do not think there's one person on this planet say, oh, I'll choose, I'll choose the tape. You know what's so sad though? Is every day the sun sets and it rises. And every day God has to watch people with their life Choose the tape. Their choices, their decisions. It's all about the tape. It's all about their life. It's not about God. It's not about their family. It's not about friends. It's about them. It's about the tape. People are so concerned with chasing happiness that only lasts a lifetime. When God's saying, hey, I love you. I want to be with you forever. Just look how long it is. I'm here. I'm calling. I sent my son. He died for you. And on the cross, he cried out for your forgiveness. And I, I sent him. I'm offering his blood. I'm offering eternity. And so many times, you see it on the TV. You hear it in our music. You see it in our schools. You see it in our families. It's all about the tape. It's not about eternity. And so the question we need to ask ourselves as men and women that follow Christ, are we telling people around us that we're living for the tape or that we're living for Forever. Pick up with me in 22 in that same chapter. Verse 22, and, and Paul says, but if I live on in the flesh, this will mean fruit from my labor. Paul, what are you saying? Paul's saying, hey, I'm gonna work hard for the Lord. Everything that I got is gonna be for the cause of Christ and I wanna increase the population of heaven. I'm going to work hard for the Lord. You read 23, and he says, for I am hard-pressed. That's the idea. Think about this. He says, for I am hard-pressed. Well, what is he meaning? He's literally meaning there is a struggle that is going on in him mentally and physically. He's saying, for I am hard-pressed. Paul, what are you struggling with? He says, between the two, having a desire to depart and be with Christ, which is far better. Paul, why do you struggle so much? Paul would say, 
you know why I struggle so much? Because every day I realize I'm one day closer to heaven and it's going to be so much better than the red tape. It's going to be forever. And you know, we just rattled off the list and Paul would feed you that same list. And Paul's saying, I struggle with it daily. I just want to be with God. I do. Do you struggle with that? Do you struggle with it? Because my new prayer is, God, I want to struggle with that. You look at this next verse and he says, Nevertheless, this is Paul and he's writing to the church at Philippi. And he said, he's talking to them. He says, nevertheless, to remain in the flesh is more needful for you. Now, at first glance, you're like, man, that's pretty arrogant. That's not arrogant. Paul jots those words down with confidence, looking to God and already proving that, hey, God, I'm all in. Not one foot in the church, one foot in the world. But I'm all in. Anything you need, God, you send me, I'll go. You keep reading this verse and he said, more needful for you, 25, and being confident of this, I know that I shall remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy faith, that you rejoicing for me may be more abundant in Jesus Christ by my coming to you again. The other day, I had, to do, I had to do a homework assignment, and that might surprise some people, but I was doing my homework, and the assignment was, I had to write about what I believe to be the pinnacle of my career. And so I start to type some things up, and, and I'm thinking about it, and then I kind of thought, well, I guess since I'm going to be a preacher and, and a minister, I, well, I guess the pinnacle of my career is when I step into eternity, and then I get to see all the people that God used me, not me, but God used me, as in I'm not getting glory, but God's getting glory, step into eternity in the pinnacle of my career is to look around and to see all the people that God has, in, that God has influenced. But then I'll tell you something that's so crazy because as soon as I thought that thought, it hit me. It hit me for the first time and then it changed my life. I realized that, that that's not Chris Malone's pinnacle, but that's God's pinnacle. And, and, and stick with me. It's God's pinnacle for every Christian that holds a job position. Meaning this. So many times we get caught up in the American dream and we chase, uh, we chase zeros on a check. And, and what we want is we want to be able to sit back one day and say, I made it. We want to sit back and be able to say, I made it. All the hardship, all the sacrifice, and all the hard work was worth it. Now I got the extra zeros, and then that's not enough. And then we got this idea of, well, if I can just have this house, then, then I'll be happy and I'll be satisfied. If I can just give my daughter something extra, if I can just give my wife an extra car or an extra gift or take her out to dinner more nights in the week, and we chase this idea, we chase this dream. Now here's the thing. If we had that conversation with God, I'm telling you, it would go a lot different. The conversation, I believe, 
would go a little something like this. God, what's the pinnacle of Christians when it comes to their jobs? And I can imagine God saying, it's when they step into eternity. A lawyer, a doctor, a nurse, a landscaper. Uh, you get the point. You step into eternity and you look around and all the people that God placed in your life as co-workers are now your brothers and sisters in Christ. God would say, that's the pinnacle. That's the moment that you could sit back and say all the hard work and all the sacrifice and all the hardship and all the burdens I helped bear. They were worth it. And I made it. And they made it. And that's what this life's about. It's about living a life where when people look at yours, they see to live as Christ and to die as gain. I want to close out in Philippians 3. You turn with me to Philippians chapter 3. We're going to be picking up in, in verse 4, but I, I challenge you to, to read throughout the book of, of Philippians. And chapter 2 is, is probably my favorite chapter in this book, and it's because it gives such a great reflection of who Christ is. You look at verses 1 through 5, especially starting in 3, but you read those verses in, in, in chapter 2, and you'll read 3 three and four, and it's just like, okay, that's the mindset that Christ had. And then you get to five, and it's like, let this mindset be in you which was in Christ Jesus. Then read that, then go back to three and four and say, wow, that's the mindset that Christ carried. So I challenge you to go read that. But for tonight, we're going to be in Philippians 3. In Philippians chapter 3, and we're going to start in verse 4. Now, to understand what Paul's talking about, he's basically giving his credentials, as in like giving a resume. And so you talk about someone that, that could probably brag about his red tape. You, you read in verse 4, and he says, Though I also might have confidence in the flesh, if anyone else thinks he may have confidence in the flesh, he says, I more so. He says, I was circumcised the eighth day of the stock of Israel, the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of the Hebrews concerning the law, a Pharisee concerning zeal, persecuting the church concerning the righteousness which is in the law, blameless. Now I understand, so we can kind of break that down because none of, not, you know, that's confusing. I, I read it and I'm like, what? And I have to ask about four or five of my Bible teachers to break it down for me because I'm like, that don't sound impressive to me. But apparently to a Jew, he's reading that and he's like, man, this dude's Michael Jordan. Happy birthday. Anyways, think about this. Paul, he's the top dog. He says, I'm blameless. He's the Jew amongst Jews. He can go toe-to-toe -to -toe in knowledge, and he can go toe-to-toe -to -toe in zeal, passion for God. Now understand this, we're talking about what's more important, living for the tape or living for eternity. If anybody could brag about the tape, if anybody could brag about credentials or their resume, if anybody could say, hey, you know what? 
I'm going to enjoy the red tape and I'm just going to be there and I'm going to be content and I'm not going to worry about anything and I'm going to be me. It could have been Paul. But when he was introduced to Jesus Christ, I want you to see what happens. Look to verse 7. And he says, But what things were gained to me, these I have counted loss for Christ. He says, Yet indeed, I also count all things loss for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ. Jesus, my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish, means it's worthless, that I may gain Christ. Paul, what are you saying? I'm telling you, you could have sat down and Paul would have said, hey, if anybody can brag, I can do it. And I can do it with the best of them. And I can imagine Paul taking this same rope and picking up that red part and say, you know, if anybody could have got caught up in living for the tape, it could have been me. But when I met Jesus, when I stepped into that relationship, all the things that I thought to be important didn't seem so important anymore. What do you offer people around you? Is it more than an invitation to church? Or do you live a life that paints a clearer picture of what it means to follow Jesus? You look at that picture and I'll tell you what, my first reaction when I first saw that picture was, man, that's a cute baby. That baby's not real. Let that sink in for a second. That baby's a doll. Looks like a baby. Technology's so good that it can cry like a baby. Tells you it loves you. It can use the bathroom, America. But here's the thing. Tonight, when it comes to our relationship with God, God's not looking for that. He's looking for something real. I've heard a lot of people say, oh, I'm trying to change my life and I want God to help me. And we follow that conversation and they still got one foot in the world and one foot in the church. God said, I just want you to be real. I want you to give me your entire marriage, not parts of it. I want you to give me your entire relationship, not parts of it. I want you to give me all seven days of the week, not just Wednesdays and Sundays. I tell you what, when it comes to Jesus, I don't know how God did it. I remember... And she's here tonight and she's precious. My best friend since third grade, I'll never forget when the first time I held his little girl. I remember holding her, Uncle C, Uncle Chris. And I remember holding her. And my thoughts was, God, 
I don't know how you did it. She wasn't even mine. And I still don't know how he did it. I don't know where you're at in your life. I don't know what you're going through. But I tell you who does, God. He loves you. He wants to be there for you. He wants to be your best friend. He wants you to give him his world, your world. He's already given us his. God is good. And God is faithful. If there's anybody that needs anything, we hope that we can help you tonight. Come and sing.